I'm Brian Amaral, and welcome to the Clienteling Podcast. In each episode, we'll be talking to the retail industry's most knowledgeable and successful executives, those luminaries that are creating value at the intersection of retail and technology. In every episode, you'll hear about new, innovative, and transformational customer-centric ideas that are redefining shopping and creating high-value customer experiences. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and let your friends know by liking us on social media. So, let's get on with the show. Well, welcome back. We are going to continue on after show one, now with show two, with an interview with John Liebler. John has over 30 years of retail experience, very broad-based experience in store operations, strategy, logistics, customer experience, and store technology. And uh, John started his career, you know, on the floor in, in, in a retail sales environment and has been a divisional vice president of store operations for 700 uh, King Jewelers field locations. He then went on to transition into operations administration for a $6 billion specialty retailer with over 3,500 locations. And he's really touched every aspect of, of the business at scale, right? Responsible for field communications, training, repair, new store openings, corporate policies and procedures, and in-store technology. What's nice is that John has really worked both in large and small retailers and implemented clienteling and various sorts of customer-centric initiatives. I've had the pleasure of working with John in the past. If you want to know a little bit more about John, uh, we have, uh, uh, go back and, and listen to the first show. And John has spent a a fair bit of time walking us through kind of his philosophy around clienteling, gave us a lot of narrative around what really constitutes a great clienteling experience, talked a lot about the whole process of moving from manual, what he was calling a PT book, a clienteling, the black book, um, and moving that into, into a technology platform, that whole process of getting alignment within the organization and getting the right people participating in that and making sure that they ultimately own it. And then the challenges of a big organization versus a small organization and, and how do they adapt and how do they adopt these kinds of technologies. So, John, welcome back. And uh, we have some more questions we can get to in the first one. And I appreciate you hanging around a little longer with me here so that we can uh, continue talking. Yeah, Brian, thank you uh, for having me back. This is my pleasure. Well, it's uh, you've, you've shared so many great ideas. I could listen to you all day here. So let's talk a little bit about what I think is the biggest issue that I've seen out there. Uh, and, and it happens at the early stage when you first start talking to the retail executives. It certainly uh, is, is the difference between success and failure, and that is adoption, right? So where do you see the biggest challenges of adoption? And in some of the projects you did, you know, what did you do about it? What advice would you give other retailers that are kind of looking to implement a customer-centric solution like clientele. Sure. Yeah, Brian, I think that is really the most important question, right? Nobody wants to spend a substantial sum of money on technology and then have no one use it. We definitely had some successes and I've definitely had some some misses. So I, I will I will tell you the, the three things that I've seen that most impacted specifically as it related to clientele, but I think this goes for most store-facing technology implementation was number one, we ran into a situation where our most tenured salespeople were resistant. You know, they've been doing it for a long time, 15, 20 years. It's worked for me, right? And, and typically, yeah. if you're tenured, you're also very, very successful. So why would I want to change that, which I'm doing? And so it, it, to solve for that, to a certain degree, it became in the, in the pre-implementation phase where I've talked about at length in the previous 
podcast about making sure the end user is part of the conversation. So you create those evangelists and uh, more than that, you're building something that they like. And so it becomes when they get the new system, they're like, oh, this makes sense to me. Uh, but there also has to be a post process. So one of the things that we instituted was number one, post interviews. And so we would reach out to our most tenured salespeople and all the way through and then even post implementation and get their feedback as what was going well, what was not going well. Number two, we had That's a lot right. of roundtable discussion. So we would bring people in and we would whiteboard out again what was going well and not going well. And these were people at all levels of the organization. Uh, and then we were willing to make changes. And so I, I don't, we built this sort of agile light, wasn't pure agile, right? We didn't do scrums and, and, and whatnot, but we did build it in sprints. So we had the MVP, but then what we were able to do is we built these all out in two-week sprints. So we were able to move things around. And so as we got the feedback, we were able to then change on the fly to a certain degree what the next rollout looked like or change what we had already implemented. Because that was number one. Yep. You know, one of the things, one of the things I wanted to, to mention here is, uh, unlike a lot of retailers, you know, the, the particular retailer that you were working with at the time really made a decision to go ahead and build a platform because they really needed to start really rebuild everything in their enterprise. The underlying customer data architecture really wasn't there. And so they made a decision to kind of start there and build this complete front of store uh, enterprise-wide platform. But, you know, it's uh, it's interesting the way that you went through that agile approach in order to really identify what are the core values that we need to be driving and then what are the core behaviors that we need to make sure that we're that we're managing towards and that we're able to monitor and then how do we build the feature and functionality around that to make sure it's supporting. I thought you guys did a really good job in kind of moving through that process. Well, and I appreciate that. And we have taken that to other retailers who did not do an internal build, right? Who bought something sort of quote off the shelf, but we didn't turn on all the technology, all the functionality at one time. It wasn't a big bang. It was, you know, let's, let's get some of the core functionality out there. Right. And then mm -hmm. once that got baked in, then you can turn on things as you go. And so that what happens then is you're really building a foundation of core behaviors, and then you build on those behaviors. A lot of times what I've seen is, is you just launch all out there and people get lost in, in so many options. And so I do strongly advise that becomes a best practice approach, which mm -hmm. leads me to the second piece that was a, candidly, I'll take full ownership, was a miss on my part. I did not fully understand the impact that the technology in someone's hand would have in the selling process. So for instance, you know, like one of the core behaviors you have with clienteling is you want to capture guest information. Well, when do you capture that? Do you capture the greeting? Do you capture the end of the sale? You have guests who didn't make a purchase, but you want to capture that. Suddenly you have an iPad in somebody's hand and they're trying to type on an iPad. Well, now you're losing the guest connection. So do you introduce a client capture card? Does the customer fill it out? Like all of those real interesting behaviors didn't come to light until after we launched the system. Now, obviously, you can then, as you launch out future systems with future clients, anticipate that. But I do think it's critical to try to anticipate the impact that that technology will have on yeah. the day-to-day -day selling. Yeah, it does change process. There's no no question about it. And and it's a matter of trying to keep the best of what works in terms of the human connection and having the technology to support it without it being distraction. Correct. And then the last piece, and there's a number of things, but I think this is really critical, is making sure you get the data right, whether, you know, especially with clientele. But with any I wish I had a bell, John. I yeah, wish right? I had a bell on ding, that ding, one. Ding, ding, <laughs> right? You know, 
we had a very big challenge. I've had, and I've seen this now in a couple of clientelling rollouts with just duplicate records, right? So how are you making sure that you're deduping effectively? How are you not continuing to create duplicate records, right? So you're creating a record in POS. It's also being subsequently recreated in clientelling and it becomes two of the same. Uh, what is your ongoing deduping process? I mean, this is obviously important for an execution standpoint, but it's really important for a credibility standpoint. When you've got a field team that you're saying, we want you to use this, there's going to be hesitance to use the new system. If they don't believe in the system, they're going to start naturally looking for reasons why not to use it. And if the data is not right, they're just going to go, nope. And it's really hard to create hype, get everyone excited, have them jump into the system and have it not work, and then try to get them back into it again because you've lost that credibility. So yeah. getting it right the first time, I think, becomes extremely important. Yeah, it, it does. And I've seen that. I mean, you know, I've done an awful lot of implementations over the years. And, you know, sometimes you have the ability to influence the IT organization more than others to get things cleaned up before you start. And I've even seen pilot projects that, you know, lingered for three years because they couldn't get their data right. And people would go in and do a, a search on a customer and it would show up six different times in there and they wouldn't know which one had the right transaction history. You know, it's all kinds of issues like that. So you have the dedupe issue. Yeah. So it really is. I mean, the, the credibility of the system, it, it, it needs to be it needs to be virtually perfect. And uh, I know that you guys did a lot of work in and around that. So let's talk a little bit about tracking the effectiveness of, of clienteling once you actually kind of have in place. What kind of metrics were you thinking about? What were maybe some of the soft benefits that made an overall impact on the company? Right. Before, before I go, I want to go back to one thing you just said, because I think it's really important. Someone once said to me that perfection is the enemy of progress. It's important that what you launch works perfectly. What's not important is that you launch a perfect system. And, and so I'm agreeing with you. But what I, I, what I want to make sure people know is that rather launch out minimum functionality that works really, really well, as opposed to lots of function, right? You have the option to launch out in next releases more functionality. But if only does three things, do it really, really well, because you won't get people yep. back into the system, right? Yep. No, that's great advice. Yeah, great advice. Okay, I appreciate it. Yeah. So going back to what you're asking as it relates to to uh, tracking effectiveness, this was definitely uh, a labor of love, especially when it comes to clientele, because understanding how not only guest capture, but then store outreach, how that's driving effectiveness beyond what would be new merchandise programs, new marketing programs, who's getting credits for that, right? Uh, especially when you're building a CRM, which you can't really test, right? It's, it's, it's a 360 view of the customer for all stores. So could you have turned clienteling on in some stores, not turned it on in other? Yes. So I think it's important for organizations when they are starting to launch the system, trying to understand how they're going to see that and doing the A-B testing. Mm -hmm. To be real detailed, the, the, the metrics that, that I found most effective, number one, were sales made after outreach. And we put a specific timeline on it. And you can choose seven days, 12 days, 14 days, but from all channels. Uh, one of the things that I'm hearing quite a bit from, from clients is stores are getting increasingly frustrated that they meet, work with a guest, and then the guest goes and buys it on, on, on .com and they don't get credit. Now, uh, whether that credit is through a P&L or it's just you know, secondary recording of the data, Omnichannel means omnichannel, right? So having sort of these, these market-related P&Ls becomes very important. That's probably for another show. But we definitely said to our teams, look, if you get captured customer information and you do an outreach and they make a purchase, we're going to gamify that and give you credit so we can at least measure it and see who's doing well, who's not doing 
So that was number one. Yeah, it's great because you're doing attribution. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, so much of this activity, we really have to be able to attribute it back to something. Correct. Whether it's a, you know a, a marketing piece, and there's a lot of new technologies out there trying to track the attribution of specific online and, and you know uh, social media marketing and whatnot. Does that actually create an in-store experience? You know, but one of the nice things we can do in in and I know you did in your clienteling solution was to make sure that every outbound communication that came, you were able to have a single view of the customer and then know whether or not that customer responded exactly rhetorically right. to the kind of communication that went out. And therefore you could apply the attribution directly, which is yep. incredibly powerful. Spot on. The other metric that actually did not measure my initial time doing this, but learned over a couple of other other implementations of a, of a client on your product was um, new guest acquisition. So if you consider just, you have 100 guests that walk in a store in a given period of time. You have a 10% conversion. So 90% of the people came in and left. Well, that's 90 people that we really are, are invisible to us. And so one of the other metrics we, we pushed was trying to capture a percentage of those people. Now, that's tricky, right? You have, to, you have to give the customer a reason to give you their name that's non-invasive. And that becomes very difficult from a mm-hmm. selling standpoint. But once you teach that, now what happens is you're capturing this, this huge group of people that didn't buy something, but you're creating a loyalty and an emotional connection, and they will come back to you again. Uh, and if you think in terms of, we just use jewelry again, you know, a gentleman coming in who's looking at an engagement ring, he's not going to buy it the first time he walks in the store. But how do I build out such a relationship to where he's going to say to me, yeah, let's talk again when I'm more ready. And then I can create an, a reason as his, his advisor to reach out to him in a non-invasive way just to continue to build that relationship. And, and that, that strategy can be implemented across really any retailer. It certainly any, any considered sale, right? I mean, anything that's a considered sale, you really want to start in that exactly. process as early as possible to, to understand who that customer is and, and use it as a Correct. way to share content or to share ideas, invite them to store events. There are so many things that you can do before they actually spend dollar one with you. Correct. You know, just recently, I I was at the National Retail, uh, the NRF, and you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a student of retail. So when I'm bored, I go shop. That's what I do. <laughs> I love it. And I had this, this thought in my head that I was going to go into stores and I would buy something and they only had to do, there was only one behavior they had to exhibit and I would make a purchase in that store. So I think I hit 53 stores over the course of a couple of days, Brian, some of the top stores in New York. Like these are the, these are the, you know, the cream of the crop, the flagship stores. I made, I made zero purchases. And do you know what my criteria was? I have no idea. What was your criteria? They had to get my name. (laughs) If somebody simply was able to go and know, get me to say, yeah, I'm John. I would have made a purchase. Uh, and I never saw it. I saw variations on greetings. There were some of the perfunctory, some were this, some were that. I had this one gentleman really do a phenomenal job explaining the brand. And he gave me his name. His name was, was, was Brandon. So shout out to Brandon. But not one person in all of these stores effectively said, what's your name? And then took it from there. And if you do any reading on human behavior, Getting and using a name is really number one. Absolutely. And so I'm soapboxing a little bit, but this comes back to every customer comes in your store as an opportunity. Clienteling helps you capture that, especially these new guests. So that was another another criteria. And just sort of to add on to that, one of the things that we did is, so we we did secret shops in, in, in a number of organizations I've worked with. Well, what we added, and we didn't do this my initial time, but this was an additive later, was we would, we added 
couple of questions to the secret shop, which were, do they capture my, do they ask me my name? Do they capture information? And did they complete an outreach? We would then go back into the clientele system. So we would pull the data from the secret shop with their shoppers' names and we would see, did they do an outreach? And what did that outreach look like and sound like? And then we created KPIs around that and then behavioral training around that. Extremely impactful. That's great. Yeah, no, that's great. So you basically, as opposed to just trying to go back and survey customers, you actually had, you know, very specific tactical, you know, people going in to do this. Correct. Uh, and then you closing the loop on that and taking those learnings as a way to enhance the uh, the program. That's, that's, that's a great way to do it. That's great, John. So, so what advice would you give other retail operations and marketing execs that are either considering implementing clienteling for the first time or perhaps trying to extract you know, the real value from a system that they currently have in place? Yeah, I think that's, that's an amazing question and, and probably could be one for an entirely other podcast. But to sort of try to summarize it, uh, I think there are three things that are, are incredibly important. Number one, choosing the right solution, then putting steps in place so you ensure a successful implementation. And then finally, and you brought it up a number of times, is, is how do you go and, and drive user adoption, right? And if you take them sort of one at a time, choosing the right solution. When I was with the publicly traded $6 billion company, we had a very clearly defined RFP process. And we would put vendors through the ringer. I have not seen that process in a number of other engagements. And sometimes people are choosing solutions because of the first one that was presented to them because they have a buddy who owns the company. Make sure you have a clear process. And that needs to have a clearly defined goal. What are the KPIs? And start with the end in mind, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly what, what behaviors you're trying to drive, what kind of journeys you're trying to support and make sure that the vendors that you're talking to have the capacity to be able to address that uh, fully for you. Exactly. And I don't know if you remember this, Brian, but one of the things I had in my whiteboard in my office was a, a little algebraic formula that was NT plus OP equals EOP. Uh, so I know this is a podcast so people can't see it, but basically that stands for new technology plus old process equals expensive old process. <laughs> and, and I forget who you may have been the one who brought that to my mind, but one of the things that I think is really important, and I've seen this in multiple implementations, is where people want to, to bend the technology to fit their antiquated processes. And most technologies exist because they're built on best practices from dozens and dozens of other retailers. Be willing to change processes because if not, you end up with a highly customized solution that is very difficult to uh, manage down the road. So I think that's, that's, that would be number one okay. as it relates to advice. Uh, ensuring a successful implementation, uh, again, clearly define those expectations, set realistic timelines. Don't let the business drive the timeline, right? What you don't want to do is continually miss timelines because it's being, they're set, being set unre unrealistically. Consider agile, right? If you can do this in sprints in any degree, I think it's extremely helpful. Uh, and then this is real particular, but ensure the testing environment is real. I've run into a number of implementations where the store environment was different than the testing environment. And then when they actually went and did rollouts, it didn't work because the Wi-Fi wasn't right in the stores or whatever happens to be. So I think that's a, that's yeah. a critical element as well. That's great. And then the last piece uh, is to ensure, you know, user adoption. And, and we've talked to a great deal about that. 
but you got to have the end user involved from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You need to employ just basic change management protocols, extensive communication, comprehensive training. And when I say training, it's not just technical training, it's behavioral training, have clear adoption metrics, and then have reporting and incentives that match those, those, those metrics. So you know you're getting what you signed up for. That that's great, and you know you're right. We could do an entire program on that, John. I'm going to hold yeah. you to that because I want to come back okay. and talk a lot about how do you actually implement the behavioral change inside the organization to ensure that once you know once you've gone ahead and, and gotten to the point of having a piece of technology, how do you make sure that the organization coalesces around that and really gains the value? And I think that that's really big part of what this podcast is always going to be about is making sure that people get to that place between the white paper and reality and they really get the value that they're looking for. John, it has been such a pleasure. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show. You've, I think, shared some some wonderful ideas and thoughts over these two different uh, episodes with our listeners, and I'm going to bring you back. But thank you very much, John, and a successful 2020 for you. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. And uh, to everyone listening, remember, it's all about that one-on-one relationship. So make sure it's a good one. Thank you. Take care. Well, that's today's show. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and like us on social media. Or drop me a line at brian at retailtechexec.com. If you'd like to learn more about what we do at Clientricity, visit www.clientricity.net. Until next time, stay well and go do something amazing for your customers.